Oops. Right there, ladies and gentlemen, live streaming at its best. Right out of the gate, your pal Sully is uh, having tech issues. I had tech issues last night, and I could have let it slide, but I'm doing this one. This is a makeup podcast, and I'll explain why and what exactly that means in just a second. This is Locked On MLB. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, baseball fans and high live streamers, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. There's my lower third. That's the proof. You can call me Sully, doing this as a live stream on the 29th day of November 2022. We're going to be talking a little bit about one of the premier free agents, at least in terms of the year he had last year could be heading to a major media market. And I think it's kind of a shame because I think he should stay put or do the ultimate mic drop. But the fact of the matter is for huge markets within two areas of the country could be salivating to bring him in. And those are four teams that desperately need a big win. Also, we say happy birthday to the best that there ever was at his position. You can follow us at Locked On MLB Pods on Twitter and on Instagram. I am your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. And please, please tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On MLB or check out some of the other great shows on the Locked On Podcast Network, including Locked On Diamondbacks, hosted by friend of the podcast, Miller Thomas. Let me just uh, get the business stuff out of the way. Uh, I am recording this in my free period. You can see I'm at the school. A little un- <laughs> I've got this rigged up, uh, and we're doing this in a live stream. If you're on the chat, uh, throw in some questions or anything you want me to talk about. Um, hopefully, you're hearing me a little better. Uh, I, I had a different microphone that I used last night for the show that I dropped with Miller Thomas, and everything was distorted. The sound was terrible. Uh, Miller sounded fine. There was there was something bad on my end. I don't know what it was. And this was coming on the heels of having tech issues with Nick Morawski. There was just and then and having I've been having a bunch of tech problems. I just got to take a step back and figure it out. But uh, as I said before, I am not in the business, even here in the off season, to giving you something substandard. You, my listeners, you, my watchers. So I had a little period here, and I said, do you know what? I did drop the show with Millard yesterday. I am going to try to figure out what the issues are with my computer at home or what's what's going on, why I'm having sound issues. But I said, do you know what? I'm going to record another podcast for today. So this is kind of a makeup. The, the one with the sound issues is recorded. It's still out there. I could just say, hey, I'm going to give you five a week during the off season, But no, you're getting six this week getting six. Hey, it is the 29th day of November, as I said before, on this day in 1969 in Panama City, Panama, Mariano Rivera was born. And 
uh, I had the, you know, look at, uh, I, I make no bones about it. I am a, uh, a native New Englander who rooted for the Red Sox all those years. But I will say this. Um, it's kind of my great privilege that I was able to watch the 19-year career of the person who was the greatest relief pitcher of all time. And, you know, for a while I was resistant to that title of, to bestow upon him. Because I said, yes, he's great, but you know, relievers like Fingers and and Gossage would throw more innings. Uh, you know, I was becoming grumpy old man, and but as the years went by, and Rivera's dominance never waned, we saw that it was not just the fact that he uh, finished more games than any pitcher in baseball history, uh, has the most saves. Saves are a very flawed metric, I will you know, will have to admit. But he never stopped being a dominant closer. He really only had, when, when he it was a starter in 1995, he was not a very good starter, so they threw him in the bullpen. And Wetland, John Wetland, who the, the less said about him, the better, was the closer. And it became clear to everybody in their cow then in 1996, while Wetland was putting together a uh, a fantastic season, one that would ultimately culminate in him being the World Series MVP, the fact that Marion Rivera, as a setup man in 1996, finished third in the Cy Young vote was a sign that everyone saw. Uh, this is uh, this guy should be the closer. When Wetland left after the World Series, they gave Rivera the closer role. You know, in '96. As a setup man, Rivera wound up winning eight games. Wins and losses are irrelevant for a reliever. He got five saves. His ERA was 2.09. He struck out 130 batters in 107 and two-thirds innings and only walked 34. The next year, he put up great numbers again, but he led up the home run to Sandy Alomar Jr. in the playoffs that basically coughed up the division series to Cleveland. And there was, lest we forget, some whispers at that time that, oh, man, maybe uh, maybe he can't handle the spotlight, even though he had thrown to a 1.88 ERA during the regular season. Well, what we saw after that was a string of dominance that really is something we've never seen before. In the 1998 season, Mario Rivera didn't lose a single game. And he did stri- – his strikeout total was not – I mean, he, he wasn't striking out a lot of batters. If you actually see a lot of times his – you know, there were some of his best years, he had more innings pitched than strikeouts. But nobody could hit his pitch. No one could hit his cutter. And we saw – look at relief pitchers flame out. Dominant relief pitchers flame out badly. And when you see sometimes the elite – this is one of the reasons why – uh, closers sometimes have a hard time getting a super long contract is they'll have a peak that is about three or four years, and then that's it. And if you go back five years ago and you see what the top relievers are and they did five years before that, it's going to be, for the most part, a different uh, group of closers. Think about how like someone like Brad Lidge or Jonathan Papelbon were so dominant in the late 2000s, and then both were cooked by the early 2010s. Think about someone like Brian Wilson or Koji Uehara, 
who were both so fantastic for teams that were big time, you know, big time closers for World Series winning teams. And then a few years after that, done, they're done. You know, every once in a while you'll have a Craig Kimbrell who's had a nice long career, but again, he flames out. Or sometimes you'll have, you know, Trevor Hoffman is kind of a unicorn in terms of the closer who's a dominant closer for a long, long time. A lot of times, that's, you know, either they flame out from overuse or the batters figure them out, which I think is what happened with Papelbon. But Rivera, there was nothing to figure out. He's going to throw a cutter and he can't hit it. And we've never, ever in the history of baseball ever seen a pitcher be this dominant, sorry for the lights going out, this dominant as a closer for as long as he did. That the you take away the 95 season, his rookie year, you take away 2012, the year he got injured, and was having a fantastic year, but he got injured uh, catching fly balls in during batting practice. And you also take away, you could take away 2007 because that was the one kind of lumpy year that he had. Um, his ERA went above three, and that's when there were some whispers that maybe it was time for Jabba Chamberlain to take over. You take those three years out, he has 16 years of nothing short of dominance, low ERA, low hits per inning, an ERA plus that we've never seen before, and just hand the ball to him and the game's over. Now, if you look at his career, he has the most saves of anybody in the history of baseball. He only led the league in saves three times. He only saved 50 or more games twice. And that was because Joe Torre, who wasn't always the best strategic manager, knew that he needed Rivera uh, rested and ready for the postseason. And if you look at what he did in the postseason, I mean, the reason why the 2001 World Series and the 2004 playoffs were so such a gobsmacking uh, shockers that he blew those games was because he was completely dominant. He won a World Series and a League Championship Series MVP. You know what? His career ERA as a pitcher in um, in his 19 years, his career ERA was 2.21. Do his career ERA was in 96 postseason games? It was under one. It was a 0.70. Yeah, I'm not big in the wins and losses, but he only lost one game. Okay. He pitched 96 games and saved 42 of them, but just no one could get a run off of him year in and year out. He just was that dominant, was that much of someone who just completely shut down the opposition. And in 2009, he pitched, uh, was it 10 and two thirds, 50, he pitched 16 innings in 2009 postseason and let up one run. And they won the World Series that year. Last time they went to the World Series. And he did so, look at, yeah, I, I, I have great memories of 04, but he did it in a way, he did it in a way that was tough to argue against him. He wasn't flashy. He, he didn't show up batters or anything like that. He seemed to be a decent human being who seemed to love his job. And that's one of the things that made me hate him more. He wasn't even cocky about it. He just was on there and said, nope, we're going to win, and we're done. 
So he's retired. And do you know what? If he didn't injure himself in 2012, chasing for fly balls in during batting practice, would he have pitched for another five, six years? I mean, look at his final year. His final year was 2013, okay? The Yankees did not make the postseason in 2013, so he was able to have his farewell at the end of the year. Um, he saved 44 games. Fine, I don't care about that. His ERA was 2.11. He was still one of the elite closers in baseball at age 43. I mean, could he have been one of those people who pitched into his 50s? One thing's for sure, that's – he is going to be the greatest closer of all time. And the idea that if someone else were to even come close to what he did as a, as a closer, I mean, look at, it's just not going to happen. I mean, it is, it's not going to happen that someone's going to be that great for that long. Or if it happens, it's going to be the absolute longest shot of all time. That's something I would absolutely not bet on. And if you're going to make any bets, go to Bet Online, which remains your number one place for all your online betting needs. Whether you're betting on basketball, NHL, football, college football, the World Cup, or esports, you can cover it all at Bet Online. And if you like podcasts, sports podcasts, news, information, it's all there too. Go to Bet Online. .net. It's your number one place for all your gambling needs. Bet online. That's where the game starts. So we're here. It is the 29th. We just wished happy birthday uh, to um, the greatest closer of all time. Someone's in the chat. Hey, someone's leaving spam in the chat. Thank you very much for spam. Um, but hey, baseball and barbecue is in town. I've been on their podcast. Greetings from New York. There are big Mets guys in in New York, but yeah, the uh, the got to give got to give props to the great Mariano Rivera on his birthday. Am I right, fellas? Uh, by the way, check out they got a great podcast, Baseball and Barbecue. It's fantastic, and uh, I've been on the show a couple of times, and I and, and I've had sound issues with them too. So there you go. Um, hey, uh, there's uh, no big news so far going on. You know, the as as I said. In the show that dropped yesterday where the sound was was less than ideal, uh, you saw the Astros became very, very aggressive in bringing Jose Abreu. But one of the things that may come about with that is that may prohibit them from signing or that may be a sign that they may be moving on from Justin Verlander. Now, Verlander is the American League Cy Young Award winner. Um, oh, by the way, uh, the fellows at, at Baseball Barbecue can't let it go. You can't let it go. They said the great man Howard Johnson's birthday was yesterday. Oh, yes, it was. Yes, it was. Happy birthday to Hojo. Um, so Verlander is the American League, the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner, and he is now uh, he is the he has won three Cy Young Awards. You could make an argument that maybe he should have won more. Maybe he should have won less because that one year it could have gone to um, uh, Garrett Cole. Either way, uh, it's the Cohen brothers' rule, and that is when you have uh, when you've won multiple Cy Youngs or multiple awards, you can't complain that they're not padding their resume. But uh, the Dodgers 
This is according to the New York Post. The Dodgers are in to – they're throwing their hat in the ring to bring in Justin Verlander. Um, the Mets are throwing their hat into the ring. Uh, the Yankees made a one-year, $25 million offer to Verlander last year. Uh, he stayed with the Astros, and he got him uh, a uh, a World Series championship and a Cy Young Award along the way. Um we're going to see what happens here. We're going to see what happens. But there are the two. Oh, um, Adam Scott Bristol points something out. I'm just going to go to the chat because a lot of good people are coming. Adam Scott Bristol, the Yankees has a, have a history of signing aging aces. Kevin Brown, Randy Johnson, Chris Capuano, Sidney Ponson, Kerry Wood, Chano Park. I could go on and on. Hey, uh, Roger Clemens 2.0, Gaylord Perry, a bunch of other ones like that. Um it would be the it would be the most Met thing of all time if Justin Verlander signs with the Mets and breaks down. Um, him signing with the Yankees, yeah, the Yankees have brought in a bunch of aces later in their career, and sometimes at the expense of young players because I, well, they brought in Rick Roden in the 1980s, who was a solid pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It cost him Doug Drabeck who won the Cy Young Award with the Pirates and was a p- kind of pitcher that the Yankees desperately needed to have. The Yankees need to start developing some aces. I mean, we're, I mean, Severino is like the last good pitcher that they've developed as a starter, you know, but we'll see. We'll see. James Cook has something he wants to say. Um, he says that, Jim Crane told Justin Verlander to go test the market, then come back. I think Jim Crane matches the highest offer and let the Astros keep him. That could be the case. And Jim Crane has shown that he is willing to be aggressive and willing to be someone who is uh, willing to defend this World Series title. The signing of Abreu, in some ways, should be a message to Verlander, which is we're going for it. Now, they have Valdez. They have Christian Javier, uh, they have, you know, the, the green, all the people that I mentioned that on their very deep pitching staff and who knows how many more years Verlander has, but you know, worst case scenario is he is not quite well, worst case scenario is he needs Tommy John again. But, uh, you know, I think that for the Astros, they should do that. They should say, yeah, go ahead, go ahead and we'll match it. Go see what's out there. Go see what's out there and, and let us know. And we'll bring you right back because this is a time for the Astros where they can put their past in the dust. And speaking of dust, they can give Dusty Baker back-to-back titles. Remember how John Elway spent his entire career? Being like, yeah, he can't win the big one. He can't win the big one. Then he finished his career winning back-to-back Super Bowls. Imagine that for Dusty Baker. After all these years, then he goes and he wins back-to-back World Series titles. You know, he could go to three. I mean, look at, aren't right now the Astros the favorite to go back? Three straight pennants for Dusty Baker. Justin Verlander would go a long way for doing that. Um, Baseball and Barbecue uh, chimed in again. Um, They said, can't see Verlander signing with the Mets. But a year ago, I said the same thing about Scherzer. Yeah, this uh, this is a brand new day for the Mets. Now, of course, uh if the Mets had won one more game this last year, uh, they would have been the division champs, and who knows if things would have unfolded differently. The Mets still have that sense of urgency, and maybe 
just maybe they can get the band back together with Scherzer and Verlander, who couldn't win a title together in Detroit. Each of them won a title elsewhere, Washington and Houston. The Mets are a team that need to capitalize on this. They won 100 games last year. They put their chips in the center of the table. Jacob deGrom is probably going to go, probably to Texas, but who knows? Maybe he'll go to Houston. But I think deGrom is gone. And uh, quite frankly, they can't survive, the Mets can't survive if they lose all their aces. So having Verlander and Scherzer there, yeah, it'll be really weird seeing a reuniting them there. And quite frankly, I think it's odd thinking of Verlander pitching anywhere but Houston right now. But the Mets have a sense of urgency that they need to do more than win a wild card. They need to win a division, which they have not done since 2015. They need to put 1986 in the dustbin and say, hey, we finally have a World Series more recent than that. They have a chance to be the team of New York, especially with the Yankees perfectly content with treading water. This was the year that they do this. This was the year they should have done this. For a nation of Buckshire. I hope, uh, hey, by the way, I just said that I'm getting a little bit of an issue. Uh, hey, uh, send me a message in the stream to make sure I know I'm still recording this. Just let me know because it just said I had a, a little a little tech glitch there, just like I need on my makeup show that I wind up uh, having a tech issue. Anyway, I digress. The Mets have to do something. Verlander is something. Verlander is a Hail Mary pass to finally win. You know, it's that sort of thing. Okay, apparently the sound is still there. Good. And so both New York teams are in need of this. The Yankees have to get off the mat. I know it's tough to say get off the mat, but do you know what? They've won one division title, or they've won, won two division titles in the last uh, 10 full seasons. They haven't won a pennant since 2009. And while the Yankees are continue to make money and draw well and everything like that, you're starting to see there's some restlessness for Yankee fans. If you're, as I said yesterday, if you're a 20-year-old Yankee fan, you have no memory of your team in a World Series. Think about that for a second. Now, let's come over to my side of the country. I'm recording this from my classroom in, in, uh, in Los Angeles County. Both teams that claim Los Angeles in their title could use Justin Verlander. Notice I didn't say in Los Angeles County because one of the teams is not in L.A. County. The Angels. The Angels have the most exciting player in baseball, the best player in baseball, and those are two different people. And they are in the AL West with the Astros. So their chances of winning a division are almost zero. But do you know what? They need to get in the playoffs. They have to. If they want to keep Otani. And they have Trout. Trout's here for the long term. Otani isn't. Why would Otani stay in this clown show that is the Anaheim Angels, which is what I'm calling them? You know, their, their ownership's a mess, and they are a bad team. They are wasting the prime of Mike Trout and the prime of, of Shohei Otani. They should be signing every single pitcher they can. 
because and you know they should be signing every local. I mean, uh, th- this team is such a gigantic mess that why not give it a shot? Now, there's you know, look at the the only reason Verlander would sign with the Angels is because they just backed up the Brinks truck for him. But back up the Brinks truck. You need that. Maybe Verlander can rub off on some of the young pitchers. I don't know. I don't know. But the Angels have to do something other than wasting the prime of these two extraordinary players. Which brings us to the L.A. Dodgers. Which is, quite frankly, the place I think he will land if not back with Houston. I think... uh, yeah, Baseball and Barbecue agrees with me here. He said, uh, the Angels need to have something break in their favor. A team in Southern California should be doing well. Yeah, a team with two gigantic superstars, MVPs, should be better than a losing team. But I digress. The Dodgers. The Dodgers are where Verlander are going to land if not back in Houston. Now he has his supermodel wife and Kate Upton and may want to live in LA and be a celebrity and that, 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 that could be part of it. It's always going to be about money. And as we've seen, the Dodgers have no compunction signing players. And they also have cleared off a lot of space in their payroll to bring in a big star like Verlander. And you put Verlander in this rotation alongside Kershaw and everybody else and Urias and everybody else Next thing you know, if, especially if Gonsolin is healthy, it's going to be another 110 wins. And um, fact of the matter is he could be uh, the latest in a parade of superstars who could be put under the – they played for the Dodgers in the playoffs? Albert Pujols, Max Scherzer. Jim Tomei, I bet you forgot that one. Manny Machado. There's a whole bunch of players who made a one blip cameo. Greg Maddox. You know, those people you don't think of as Dodgers who played in the postseason with the Dodgers. And a bunch of them are Hall of Famers. Maybe Manny Machado will be a Hall of Famer eventually. I don't know. He's had a great career so far. And obviously Verlander's going to the Hall of Fame. And there's going to be a bunch of players you look like like, when they, they play in the Dodgers in the playoffs? Really? Really? And there's a bunch of other players who had Hall of Famers who had cameos with the Dodgers, like Ricky Henderson, like Juan Marichal, like uh, I just had another one in my head. Which one was that? Oh, Frank Frank Robinson. Like, what? They play for the Dodgers? Yeah, for just a second. For just a second. So that's good company for Verlander to be in. But it would be even better company for him if they wound up winning a World Series. A big media market's going to bring in Verlander, or he's going to go back to Houston. I think he's going to go back to Houston, but I've been wrong before. And the fact that you see these big teams with deep pockets and the ability to spend are sitting there who could definitely plug in a pitcher of Verlander's caliber, something you got to think they're going to want to do. And one thing you're going to want to do is you're going to follow us at Lockdown and MLB Pods and the same handle for Instagram. I am your pal, Sully. I am at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. And by the way, thanks for making us your first listen. 
For your next listen, check out Locked On Sports Today. Get all the best stories and all the expert analysis that you would expect from hosts of the Locked On Podcast Network. Check out Locked On Sports Today. They'll tell you all about the stories and all around sports and the games you shouldn't miss. Check out Locked On Sports Today on this app, on YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Making it up to you. And hopefully this one sounds a little better. And bringing it home with possibilities and rumors for Justin Verlander and a happy birthday to the Hall of Famer, Mariano Rivera. This has been the makeup episode of Locked On MLB for the 29th day of November 2022. I am your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Thanks for the people uh, contributing in the stream. And hey, David Samuel Blame, you asked me how am I doing? I'm doing great. I just did a podcast. And you can call me Sully.